There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Though the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, he burns the chariots with fire. Therefore be still. Stop striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Amen. Well, in this final um, week of this series, A Pure Love, now we've, the main focus of this series, yes, has been what is God's design, but even more beyond that, we've been looking and saying, how is it that God meets us in the midst of our own sexual brokenness? Because we're all in some way broken. We talked about that in week two, but how does he do that? And in this final week of the series, though, I, I thought, you know what, instead of getting up and talking again, I think it's important for us to sh- hear the stories, real-life stories, of those within this congregation who have been transformed and changed. And so I have a couple people that I want you guys to hear from today. Uh, and at first and foremost, I want to invite up Matthew Pecuconis. Come on up. Everybody give him a big round of applause. Do you want, is this table good or just good? Okay. Um, can we pray for him before he gets going? Father, thank you for his story. Thank you for what you have done in and through him. Thank you that we get, however long we get to share together on this journey uh, toward knowing you and seeing your kingdom come to North Reading and beyond, God, that we get to share that together. I pray that you will be all over his words <laughs> and that you will speak through him and that uh, his story will be used by you to bring life to all of us. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said Amen. There you go. Take it away. Back for Pastor Kirk this week, and I was talking to Shelby about this a little bit before the service. Um, To come up here and really share from the heart and talk about things that are really important requires a level of wrestling um, that I have not experienced previously in my life. So I hope that we are all on a weekly basis really praying for Kirk and Shelby and for their family because it is tough, tough, tough. The warfare is, is real. And, uh, you know, let, I, I really just want to say thank you, Pastor Kirk, for giving all that you give. Um, so my story, um, there's no real dramatic tragedy in my story. My story is probably a lot like a lot of other men who go to church every Sunday. Um, you know, I wasn't molested as a kid. I didn't end up on the streets in sex trafficking. Um, I was just a kid who grew up with divorced parents in a somewhat broken home. My mother was a Christian. Um, she remarried pretty quickly after my parents got divorced. My father was... Um, an alcoholic and an angry person. He also had 
ongoing issues with infidelity. Um, that was, when, when I got older and looked back into my family history, I saw that that was a real issue and generational sin is real. Um, but, you know, what happened was, you know, that, that missing that connection with my father, um, you know, I didn't have that connection with my stepfather. Um, there was just an emptiness and a sense of incompleteness inside. And um, there was just something missing. I couldn't describe it in words, but I just felt empty. And uh, I didn't have that kind of a positive relationship with my stepfather. So I looked to older kids in the neighborhood, and I looked to um, uh, my sister. My oldest sister got married fairly young, and uh, her husband, my brother-in-law, was about 15 years older than me, and he kind of became my best friend. But he also had substance abuse issues, and... Um, was a bit of a womanizer himself. So I gravitated toward these people who, I didn't realize it, but they resembled my father. And um, I picked up a lot of wrong thinking, um, bad habits, um, and the culture was certainly, you know, in the late 80s and 90s, was certainly happy to tell me who I should be also. You know, the, the stuff on TV, the stuff in the music, um, you know, that sense of cultural decency that used to exist was really eroding and fading away. And um, I, was, I was just looking for something to fill the emptiness and the void. Um, so I formed not just bad habits, but wrong patterns of thinking and, and wrong beliefs about myself, about other people, and even about God. And that set the stage for me to be able to live a really unhealthy lifestyle. Um, uh, as I as I got into high school age and got into um, my teenage years, you know, I tried to fill that emptiness with achievement, with sports, with popularity, with all the things that teenagers do. Um, you know, and I'd get temporary bits of relief, but the reality is nothing could fill that emptiness inside of me, and I was never really content. I just felt like something was missing all the time. Um, and I started to... Um, sort of portray an outward image of who I wanted the world to see. It wasn't who I was, but it was that kind of shell that we can sometimes put on our outside exterior um, because I didn't want people to know that I didn't feel like I fit in. Um, so um, at that time, you know, because of the, the, the disconnection I felt with other people and the disconnection I felt with... Um, with my parents and with my father. Um, I started to, to take on a really promiscuous lifestyle, lots of macho bravado and that sort of stuff. Um, and I started to live a pattern without vulnerability. I didn't allow people to get to know me for who I really was. Um, I put on essentially a false self. I presented who I wanted the world to see. And um, that prevented me from having real meaningful connections with other people, especially with, with women, because, you know, I didn't want to be hurt. I had, I had tried to have um, some, some relationships, you know, in high school and early in college, and I experienced some difficult relationships and even some um, betrayal, and that just reinforced that feeling of needing to protect myself. Um, and uh, basically by the late 90s, I was fully engrossed in a totally promiscuous lifestyle. The internet was really taking off, and 
adult websites really took off at that time too. And it fit into perf it fit perfectly into this um, lifestyle of lacking vulnerability and lacking connection. And um, I began to you know watch internet porn and things like that without any reservation whatsoever. It became just part of the lifestyle that I was living. Um, and I was drinking at that time too a lot. Um, so my drinking took off and you know my my um, internet porn usage took off and you know th that cycle of um, negative thinking and, and negative beliefs and negative living you know just led me to a place of total brokenness and total emptiness um, and I just I just want to say that looking back now I can see that sin never operates in a vacuum you know if you're willing to lie you're willing to cheat and if you're willing to cheat you're willing to steal and um, at that time, you know, the, the drinking and the lustfulness and the deception and the lying and the manipulation, it all just went together, you know, and, and little by little, the thing that I thought was going to fill me and make me feel whole and complete was really tearing me apart and destroying me from the inside out. Um, so fast forward to my late 20s. Um, I realized, you know, my drinking had become a really serious problem, and I realized I had to get sober or I was going to die. So I started going to AA. Um, I had no interest in church because I had experienced, you know, some hypocrisy, and I, was, I went to Christian school as a kid, and my mother was, was in the church, but, you know, suffice it to say, I experienced a lot of people who said one thing but lived a totally different way, and I didn't want any part of that. Um, even though that's exactly what I was doing. <laughs> um, so um, AA showed me how to take a searching and fearless inventory of myself, and I began to see how really sick and how selfish I'd become. Um, porn and lustful, and the porn and the lustfulness lessened when I, when I um, got sober and, and began the recovery process, but it never really fully went away. And I couldn't understand why something I really wanted to be rid of, I couldn't get rid of. Um, so um, Molly and I um, began reading the Bible. Molly is my wife. Um, and we started watching, we, we started attending church by TV, basically. Um, and then eventually we um, started going to Grace Chapel in Lexington. And um, we got involved there. Um, Molly began attending counseling, and I reluctantly agreed to go to marital counseling with her. Um, and I have, to, I have to sort of pause my story and, and just sort of stop and thank my wife because she was willing to stand up for what was real and what was true and what was right. And it was a brutally difficult process for both of us. And she stuck with me when most women probably wouldn't because I didn't have the capacity at that point, even though I was a married man, to really truly be open and vulnerable and the kind of loving husband that God called me to be. Um, and she stuck with me anyway, so I have an amazing wife. Um, <clears throat> so um, when we were at Grace Chapel, um, I began to attend Celebrate Recovery there. Um, but after a while, I found it really troubling because people kept showing up the week after week sort of saying the same things, and it seemed like nothing was really changing. And I, I started asking myself, like, why do I come here, and why do these people come here if 
nothing's changing. They're not growing. They're not healing. They're not being set free. You know, what's the point of coming and just talking about it week after week? Um, so I found another group. I, I found a men's um, recovery group in Beverly at a church there. And the, the, the vulnerability, the honesty, the friendship that I found there was really, really wonderful and really helpful because I didn't know how to be vulnerable and I didn't know how to tell the truth. You know, I was used to hiding. I was used to manipulating. Um, and I asked Chris Minot, who was the uh, chair of our elder board here at Trinity at the time. We'd switched over from Grace here to Trinity. I said, why don't we have a group like that, or some kind of recovery group, some kind of accountability group at Trinity? And he said, Chris being the solution finder that he is, said, well, why don't you start one? <coughs> Which I was thrilled to hear, by the way. Um, and, I, and I felt totally overwhelmed, and I knew I was unable to lead that kind of a, a group in my own strength, you know? So when Jesus said, um, you know, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, you know, it's real, because I had nothing to offer um, in terms of leading a group like that, and God has showed up in every way. Um, so I just want to briefly talk about some of the th important things I've learned about the keys to freedom and most of them are about beliefs, because we talk a lot about behavior, but the reality is the behavior's there because of some wrong thinking, and the thinking's there because of some wrong beliefs, and the beliefs are there because of a wrong sense of identity. Um, so, um, often, I, I hope that Trinity can become a place, you know, Kirk talks a lot about this, I hope that Trinity can become a place where sick people find healing and really get set free, um, because the world doesn't need more judgment. The world doesn't need more condemnation. The world needs a real solution to real problems. And there are so many broken people who, if they could come into a church and be welcomed and be loved just the way they are and find that healing that they need, oh, it, it would be an amazing thing beyond, beyond description. Um, at, sometimes churches minimize the journey to freedom, like we talk about salvation and we talk about baptism, and these are awesome events, awesome events. But um, the, the journey to freedom is really a process. It doesn't occur in a moment. You know, even, even if you get a total miraculous healing of some area in your life where you're broken or you're hurting, um, that miraculous healing doesn't rewrite years of false identity, wrong beliefs, or defective thinking patterns. You know, that's part of working out um, the, uh, working out our salvation, you know, with fear and trembling. It's, it's part of the, the pattern of learning how to live new in Christ. Um, real freedom comes from getting off of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is, you know, what ha happened in, in Genesis 3 when um, Adam and Eve chose to eat the fruit and chose to turn away from God's constant supply and love and provision and to seek to be their own source. You know, and Kirk talk a, talked a couple weeks ago about this sort of pendulum of swinging back and forth between shame and pride and shame and pride. And if you're experiencing that, that's a sure way to know that you're, on, you're operating out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and not from the tree of life that Jesus came to restore us to. Um, because, um, you know, that guilt and shame is all dependent on you. When I'm doing well, I feel, I mean, excuse me, the pride and shame. When I'm doing well, when I'm doing it in my own strength, I feel pride. And when I mess up, I feel that intense shame and condemnation. 
and it goes back and forth and back and forth, and it's just a horrible trap that we get stuck in. Um, so I just wanted to share a few of those things. Um, lastly, I just want to say, um, you know, Jesus came to set things right. He will, he will absolutely be there if you're willing to take a step out in faith. You know, there are people here who are willing to help. The, the guys in the men's group are really amazing. We don't just talk about sexual stuff. We talk about emotional stuff. We talk about personal stuff, work, everything. And, and whether our lives are really conforming to what God has designed us for. Um, so I just want to say that, you know, God's voice is living and active. He's here. He's available. Um, and his power to heal and to transform is real. Um, what I had to learn was what was my part to do, because God will always do his part. Um, and I had just had to learn, okay, what will God not do for me because he wants me to do it and participate in the process myself. Um, so I just want to encourage you guys by saying that um, if you need help, ask. Um, if you feel distant, if you feel disconnected from God and from others, seek him. And if you knock, the door to healing and wholeness can be opened. So that's it. So you heard the man. If you're somebody, you really relate with this story, uh, especially for men out there. He does have a group that he has started. I'm not going to tell you when and where it meets, uh, but you can come go see him uh, to for those details. Because um, we want to make sure that you guys have the resources that you need to continually walk in freedom and wholeness. And with that, I'd like to invite up our second uh, story for today. Uh, Miss Anita Cunha, can you come on up? Everybody give her a big round of applause. And uh, if we pray for Matt, we've got to pray for you too. So... God, thank you, thank you, thank you for this woman. Thank you for the marvelous story uh, that you have been telling and are still telling through her. And God, I pray that your spirit would fill her and that she would feel emboldened to be able to speak from you and that uh, you will use her story uh, to liberate so many of us here. And God, whether we relate with every aspect of her story or parts of it, God, I pray that you will speak to all of us through her. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. This isn't intimidating at all. <laughs> how you do this every week. Um, where's Nicole? Okay. Uh, all right, so hi, everyone. Um, my name is Anita Huna, um, and I'm here to share my testimony about my own struggles with um, sexual brokenness. Um, and I'm going to kind of read from my thing here, I'll totally lose distraction, I'll get distracted, and I won't get everything out that I need to get out, so um, I'm the second oldest of four um, children, my mother was 23 when she had four kids under the age of six, I'm sure that was really hard for her, um, my father was 15 years older than her, and he was a workaholic, when they were divorced when I was about eight or nine years old, and I was really devastated about that, um, as was my father, so I kind of got angry at my mother because I kind of knew in some way that that was her fault. Um, there was no structure in my home. Um, my dad's visits were not on a regular basis because he worked a lot. Um, there was no God in our home. There was no church. 
except when we were bad, and then everybody knew who God was because he was going to punish us, and you better behave. So um, that was about the extent of church and God in our home. Um, my mother started dating very quickly after the divorce. Um, she was going out a lot. She also brought a lot of boyfriends home. Um, some would stay with us, and some would just come, some would go. Um, sometimes I could hear them having sex, and for, you know, an 11-year-old girl, that's not okay. Um, and I would get angry at her for that. Um, for some reason, I, I can look back on it now, and I could feel her shame. For some reason, I just carried that with me. Um, and I felt that I had to fight for her attention, not with just with my siblings, but with her boyfriend. And, and that was not okay for me. Um, I got, I was, my anger just grew at her. Um, and I look back now, and I can see the brokenness in her as well. She was looking for love through sex almost her whole life. Um, and in our home, she was happy if her boyfriend was happy. And if they were happy, then the kids were happy. And if he wasn't happy, then she wasn't happy. And we weren't happy. And it was very dysfunctional and crazy. Um, and after a breakup, she would get, you know, very sad and sit in the room and sing, listen to sad songs and just be depressed. And it was very, it was very sick and it was very weird. And I didn't understand why her life depended on, you know, happiness of men. And for some reason, my brain stored that away and just recorded those things um, that would come up later in my life. And I wasn't, I wasn't sure how or why back then, but I can see it clearly now. Um, when I was about nine or ten years old, I was sexually abused twice. Um, once by a family member, a family, male family member, and once by a female neighbor. Um, I remember them both with very little emotion attached. And although they have a significant impact on me, um, it was a, the assault by the, the neighbor that turned the dial on my innocence in my brain. Um, because my body had reacted to what she had done to me, um, it just, I don't know, it just was different. So um, even though I act like it didn't happen, my brain also recorded that incident and saved it for later. Um, that would bring up a lot of shame for me that I didn't want to feel, I guess, back then. And I never told my family what happened because in my house, children should be seen and not heard. And that was the, that was the theme in my house, so I didn't say anything. Um, but my anger grew, and it grew at my mother, and it grew at God because I felt that I was bad, and he was punishing me. Um, and she just, I felt like she just wasn't a good mother, and she should have helped me, and she didn't. Um, but she didn't know, so it wasn't really her fault either. But um, So I left home at 15. I went to go live with my dad. Um, he was a good man. I really loved my father, um, but he didn't know much about parenting, so um, he let me just pretty much do whatever I wanted, you know, smoke cigarettes, talk to boys, um, quit school, but only if I got a job, which I did. Um, so there was no structure, there was no boundaries, and there was no validation. And for a little girl, even at 15, um, a validation from her father is the most important thing that he could give her because she'll go look for it somewhere else. And I did for the rest of my life until I found Jesus. I looked for that validation in mostly men, and it was unhealthy. Um, so here I was at 15. I didn't have a clue about life. I was taught, um, I was never taught how to balance a checkbook, let alone how to have healthy relationships. I was angry, and I was confused about life, about love, about sex and relationships. And all the lines got very blurry, and nobody was pouring into me in a healthy way. Um, so I got my first job when I was 15 at a pharmacy downtown in Boston. Um, in this pharmacy, we sold, um, you know, all different kinds of magazines, and I would buy the teen magazines and 
one day I picked up one of the porn magazines and I just started flipping through it. Um, and I wasn't really interested in the pictures. I was more interested in the stories. Um, I was an avid reader growing up, mostly reading like, um, you know, teen, teen romance novels. And I always fantasized about meeting the man of my dreams to come find me, whisk me away from this home and, you know, give me a life happily ever after. But um, I started to read the porn magazines too and porn scientific fact that it changes the brains and it changed my, and it just distorted my dreams, and it just really changed my brain. Even if you're just looking at the pictures and innocently reading the stories, um, it causes damage. And I started to get boy crazy, and I would become obsessed with my crushes, even if they didn't feel the same way. Um, and I also started to explore my body in an unhealthy way, and I soon found out that that could release a lot of stress. Um, and it would become my coping skill for the next 25 years. Um, and my sexual brokenness defined who I was to become. Um, it controlled decisions and behaviors. I pretty much did whatever I wanted to do because, um, and because of that, um, I never had a healthy relationship my entire life, um, not with women, not with men. Um, and I picked up several drug habits along the way in my story, um, as well as a serious addiction to pornography. I had essentially become the poster child for sin and brokenness, and I just I was clueless about it. Um, I had premarital sex. I had become promiscuous. I had affairs with married men. Um, I had abortions. I had false beliefs and bad habits that would take years for me to change. And I had a child out of wedlock. Um, every one of those sins had a consequence to it. I still have trouble trusting men. Um, the abortions were locked away and not dealt with for at least 23 years, right up until about a year ago when the Lord put it on my heart that I had to um, release that sin, release that shame, um, and I never included them in my story until recently because I, I did still carry that shame about, about having those abortions. Um, and being promiscuous led to me having a son at 27 with a man who was just as broken, broken as me. And it, it was hard. It was hard trying to be two unhealthy people trying to raise a boy, a little boy, and it was, it was hard. But God, <sighs> Brandon's my saving grace. He just turned 21 last week, and he's a smart loving boy um, who has his own trouble, no doubt, because of the sins of his parents, but um, he's my saving grace, and he's the best thing that happened to me during this time. Um, but despite that blessing, um, I turned for when I turned 40, I was a hot mess. I was living a double life. I worked, and I took care of my son, but I wasn't emotionally available to him um, as much as he needed me to be. I was too caught up in the affair I was having, um, the guy I was dating, the drugs I was doing. Um, and you can only live this way for so long before it starts to take a serious toll on your mental health and on your spirit. When the Bible talks about spiritually dead, that was, that was me. I cried every day, um, and I couldn't look at myself in the mirror without hating the woman that looked back at me, and it was, it was really bad. Um, and none of my friends knew everything about me, right, because, God forbid, I let anybody in. So some knew some things, some people knew other things, but nobody knew the real me, um, and I didn't know the real me. And... Um, None of us knew about addiction or recovery. Um, and I can see clearly now um, that God was there, and he knew me. He knew everything about me, and he was protecting me from myself because it could have been so much worse. Um, so I, I thank him for that every day. Um, and, you know, when you, when you come to Christ, you can look back over your life and see all these God moments when he was there and you just didn't realize it. And every day I pray and thank him for that because... It could, have been, it could have been a lot worse than it was. Um, but in the summer of 2012, um, 
Miss Angela Ortiz. I don't know if she's here. Is she here? No? Okay. <laughs> there she is. She, this beautiful woman, came into my life. Um, I met her in the backyard of her aunt's house, um, and she wanted to talk to me about Jesus, which I had really no interest in at all. Um, I just couldn't get away from that conversation fast enough, but um, I couldn't move. I couldn't move. I was glued to that chair. Um, she asked me questions. I gave her honest answers. I don't know why, because usually I would lie, but for some reason, honesty just came out of my mouth. Um, and the more she talked to me, the more the tears came. And when I look back now, I realized that without a doubt, that that was my spirit um, that was crying. That wasn't me because I was numb to everything. But my spirit knew. My spirit needed to hear what she was telling me to finally come alive. Um, and it was, I, it was amazing. Angela built a relationship with me for weeks. Um, and I really gave her a run for her money. Um, she never, but she never gave up on me. Um, she took me to church. She took me to Bible study. She signed me up for Alpha without my permission. But she did it. <laughs> And I went, um, and, I, and I haven't really stopped doing it since I came here seven years ago. Um, and she, she tried to answer every question that I have. And her reward in heaven is going to be so great because she, she's just an angel on earth. And she, she was very patient with me, and I was so blessed to have her. Um, and a few months in, I gave my life to Christ, and I poured myself into this new life with all of my doubts and my fears. I, I tried really hard to push forward because I knew that if I didn't, I was going to die. I was going to die from the the weight of it all. Um, and everyone who came and helped me in this church, like you loved me so well and accepted me on a level that I didn't even know was possible. And even with all that love, um, I, still, I still couldn't tell you about the affair I was having or the pornography addiction. I had no problem telling you about the drugs um, because that was kind of accepted, right? But who, what woman <laughs> in church watches porn like none? That doesn't happen. It's another lie. There's so many Christian women that in that bondage that they just don't talk about it um, because of the shame, because of the guilt. And um, I gave up the drugs shortly, I mean, about a while after I got here. Um, I tried to break off the affair again, which I did, and I lasted a little bit. Um, and I tried really hard to change. Um, but it wasn't until the drugs, it wasn't until I gave up the drugs that I realized I had a real problem with pornography. Um, because I just thought it was normal. People, that's what people did. Um, and over the years, that really, um, the relationship that I was having in the porn became a, a coping skill that was um, a way for me to deal with anything painful, negative, or unwanting feelings that I had. Um, it was a coping skill, and I didn't know how to function without it. Um, and I was too ashamed to tell anyone at church, but the guilt kept bringing me, so the, and the guilt of that and the shame of that kept bringing me back to the affair and back to the computer. And I would, Recently, I've been reading a lot of Brene Brown, and she was, one of her quotes, and I'm going to screw it up, but it says, the three things that shame needs to grow rapidly in someone's life is secrecy, silence, and judgment. Um, and that's, that's what I was afraid of. That's the shame that I lived in. Um, until I met Jasmine, um, about a year or so into this life, my friend Jasmine is a survivor of sex trafficking, prostitution, and addiction. Um, I found her story online, which is a whole other God story that I don't have time to tell you, but... Um, she was a woman telling her story about being a survivor, and I invited her to my sister's diner to have um, one, of one of our bags of whole parties. And she stood there in front of all of my friends and all of my family, and she's telling her story about her life. And I was just like, wow, like she doesn't have any guilt, she doesn't have any shame. And 
she doesn't even know these people. Like, what is she doing? You know, I was like, I was embarrassed for her, but she didn't have any embarrassment at all. And I was like, you know, I felt it a little bit. Um, but I was like, and I said to myself, like, this is a woman I can tell everything to. And I did. And she didn't blink once. She just gave me the empathy that I needed to release some of the shame and encourage me to um, go after healing because that's what the, uh, that wasn't what I was doing. And she encouraged me to go after recovery because I wasn't doing that either. Because being sober and being in recovery, two totally different things that I didn't know back then. Um, so to do the work was something that um, I needed to do, and I just didn't realize that that's what was going on. And we became good friends. Um, and I soon realized as we talked and shared our stories that Satan used the same lies um, to keep us trapped. Even though her sexual brokenness was over here and mine was over here, he used the same lies to keep us trapped in that cycle. Um, and as I got to know her and I started to heal, um, we found that his love is the same love that pulled us out. And it was just amazing. Um, but I knew that um, I was like Matt. I didn't understand, you know, why I loved Jesus so much. I couldn't break these habits. I couldn't stop the affair and I couldn't stop going back to the computer. And why if I loved God so much, right? I couldn't understand it. Um, so I, I found this woman out in New Hampshire. Her name is Vicki Cardos. Um, her and her husband have the Nathan Project, and he ministers to men who have addiction to pornography, and she ministers to their wives, and they have this beautiful ministry. So someone had referred me to her, and um, I called her up, and she's like, all right, well, why don't you come and see me, and I have a, a program that I do, and, you know, we can figure it out. And I said, okay, well, where do you live? And she said, oh, I live in somewhere way out in New Hampshire, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'll come, and, and, I, and I went, and she had this thing called the Genesis Process, which was a relapse prevention workbook that is Christ-centered, and um, she asked me if I wanted to go through it with her, and I said yes, and it took me about 10 months, and I, and I made the sacrifice, and I, um, I left work early every Monday, and I drove there, and um, she just brought me to a whole new level of healing, and, and we went from childhood right up until that moment, and it was it was so powerful, and it was so just what I needed. It was kind of like doing the 12 steps, but it was like on steroids because Christ was involved, and, you know, <laughs> you know, he, he doesn't let anything sit in the darkness. Um, and I, I realized that um, over the last five years, Jesus has met me in every broken area of my life with love and grace and so much comfort. Um, he has been, this has been a long and painful journey, and I'm still definitely in the healing stages of my recovery, and I'm totally okay with that. Um, and this church, this church and my, this church family, um, you've also been my saving grace. Um, I'm forever grateful for the people in this church who pray for me, who pray for my son, who loved me so well. Um, and they say that the answer to addiction, um, is connection. And I believe that you, that when you have that in a healthy relationship, it equips you to make healthy decisions. Um, and that church and the church did that for me. Um, and the, the Bible teaches us, right, that God is the God of all comfort. And when he, when he comforts us, we in turn can comfort each other. And you comforted me, and, I'm, and I love you guys for that. So thank you. Um, and I can do that in my life today, right, for other people. Um, Lynn graciously handed me down um, Alpha in this church. Um, she led it for so long, and now I lead it. And I lead Alfred. I co-lead Alfred at the church, I mean the prison where I work. Um, an addictions recovery coach. Um, I co-lead a ministry that most of you know about, Bags of Hope. And I get to comfort the women that we meet along the way that I meet in jail. Um, and I can give, I can show them who God is. 
you know, even without, without ever mentioning his name. Um, myself and the other survivors, we speak and get to tell our stories about the healing power of Christ to so many different churches and different organizations. Um, we go into women's halfway houses and we tell those broken women about our stories and how, you know, it, how it is to heal, what it looks like. Um, and we, we hope and we pray that they stay on the path of recovering healing. And in the three years that I've been doing this, um, I've ministered to, to men and to women, and not one of them, um, and not all of them have been affected by trafficking or prostitution, but every single one of them has a story of sexual brokenness in one way or another, and every single one of them need the healing power of Christ. It's the only way to, to come out of it. Um, and I love having front row seats into his work, right, that he can do through us. Um, and a little over a year ago, I met a woman at the jail. Um, she came to Alpha three times while she was in prison, and she fell in love with Christ. And when she left, um, she went to a, a house right outside the jail that I get to still mentor to her. To, and um, I sent her on a spiritual retreat a couple of weeks ago. Um, I invited her to speak at some Bags of Hope's events to share her story. We pray together. Um, and at the end of March, she'll move to a faith-based sober home where I continue to minister to her. And, you know, just to see her grow and to change and to find her self-worth and to know that she is also a princess, right, that she deserves to be healed um, has just been amazing. And there's so many women that I meet to watch them grow and come to know Christ as, as just beyond a blessing. Um, and it's, it's amazing to have women who've been through what I've been through and to go through um, what I've gone through to, to not be alone, to not feel like I'm alone. And then, um, you know, over the last four weeks um, that Kirk has been doing this series, which was long overdue, and I'm so proud of him. Um, he did a great, great job, and he, he was amazing. Um, but I believe many more conversations need to be had, right? Um, the best thing that I heard over the weekend, one of the best things was that quote that said, um, we can't be ashamed to talk about what God was not ashamed to create, right? Best advice I've heard, um, and we need to talk about it more. And for the women in this church, um, if you struggle with anything or identify with anything that I talked about today, I would love for you to come and talk to me. Um, I would love to start a small group because we don't have one, and there really aren't a lot in Massachusetts for women. Like, I have to go online to do one, and to me, that's not okay because I know that you're out there. Um, and I want to do it in this church because this church has been a hospital to me, and um, I want it to be a hospital for somebody else, right? Um, and I have a lot of resources to help with that. So even if you don't, I can point you in the right direction. Um, yeah, because there's healing, and um, we deserve to be whole. And if Jesus thought I was worth it, then he certainly thinks that you are too. So thanks. You know, hearing both their stories, I couldn't help but just think of Ephesians 2. And it's not just true for them, but it can be true for any of us. That Ephesians 2 says, though we were dead in our trespasses, and the sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that we are slaves to our own desires. Part 2. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, 
you have been saved. But he's not done. Paul's not done. He says, oh, by the way, not only is he going to do this work in you, but he says at the very end, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what's remarkable about each each of those stories is we see the transformation isn't just stopping with them. Uh, But they're a part of bringing healing and grace and love to others as well. Isn't that amazing? Well, we're not done yet, folks. Because part of this whole day, we're just celebrating new life. And one of the best ways to do that is baptism. And the command, that's right, thank you. And the command that Jesus gave us, he said, baptism, the waters of baptism symbolize that we have gone down into death. And we've died to our old way, and we've come up fully alive, all in, following Jesus. And so we get to do just that today. Um, and I realize I need to let you get back there. So Matt, come on down. Get in this tank. And while he does that, um, Maggie Madden, can you just come up here, stand right here? This is who's getting baptized today. Come on up. I just want to thank God for her. Hopefully you'll hear her story in a second. Um, You'll know why. But God, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the ways that you are at work in and through uh, this church. It's not just me. It's all of us are ministers uh, who are, are bringing your healing and your life. Because we know that you really, it's your power. It's not any human being's power. It's your power and grace and love at work in and through us. And I thank you for the chance we have to celebrate Maggie today. And all that you've been doing in her life. And the r- remarkable journey you've had her on. Uh, and God, I pray that we will just see you do exceedingly abundantly above all that which we can ask or think according to your power at work within us and continue to work within her. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, we're ready, right? We're set up. So, Maggie Madden, everybody. But she is responding. You can listen really closely. Is it your desire to be baptized today? Then it's upon your profession of faith that I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Having died with Christ, be raised to walk in new life. Man, guys, isn't this good? Isn't this good? Now, Maggie has told me that she's going to share her story. So all I have to say to all of us who think we have excuses for not following God, she's about to share her story, and she lost her voice. So, <laughs> so but you have to be real quiet. All right? Real quiet. Go ahead, Maggie. now know why um, it fits with the entire program. Um, I have an awful past full of abuse, um, multiple counts of sexual assault, 
13 years has been amazing. But God has called me in the last two years to close doors that needed to be closed, to forgive my attack, my assaulters, to really work on everything that I have gone through. Um, I have this amazing love for Jesus that has brought me through everything. And given me a life I didn't deserve or I didn't think I deserved. I do deserve it. He has brought me through everything. And even with no voice, I'm here to proclaim that my love for God is so strong. I can't even control it. (laughs) I'm so happy to be in this church for the last two years. It's been an amazing journey. I grew up here. I walked away for a while, but I'm I'm back to stay. Man, God's good. Can you lift out a hand? We're just going to pray over Maggie together. God, I felt this morning as we were praying for Maggie that you were going to use her voice in powerful ways. <laughs> that she has a story to tell, and I believe that you are going to give her many opportunities uh, to tell that story. Because we know the most amazing thing about her story is that you are the transforming core of it all. And I know that you receive glory in her life. And what I love about her is seeing that the thing that drives her is her love for you. It's not obligation. It's not religion. It's not something dry or obligatory. God, it is living passion for you because of the ways that you've been working in and through her. And God, I pray that you continue to expand her influence. uh, That we're able to see you work in mighty ways. Thank you, Jesus, for her life. Thank you for all that you've done for every single one of us. And show us as a church how to gather around her and grow together with her. And may her passion continue to ignite ours. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. All right. All right. So, um, first off, I just want to say... Uh, for Matt Pecuconis and Ida Cunha, I have so much respect for you guys. Um, sharing your story and getting up here, nothing but respect. Uh, just for your bravery and your courage to be able to share that. Um, I believe it's really going to open us all up in powerful ways. Second, can we all stand up together? Um, we are running a little bit late. And so I will say that if you have kids in the nursery or preschool, if, or kids down in the, the elementary school, if you don't mind... Uh, to jump out and go grab them real quick in order to give our workers um, some relief down there. But I feel like we can't really be done yet because I need the worship team to come up. We've got to finish with at least one song after all of this. We have to. We have to. So, um, all that said, uh, let's just sing our hearts out. Let's just thank our God for who He is and what He's been doing in us. The name of this song is is, is actually, it might be kind of new to some of you, but all it is is Do It Again, God. All that you've done, the ways you transformed us, just do it again. And so this is not only just a praise, but it's also 
a prayer. You guys ready to go?